Before we start the show, please know that uh, while this episode is mostly about gaming communities, it also does discuss self-harm and depression. Sometimes these discussions can bring up issues, and if it does, you don't have to go it alone. Please know that you can reach out to places like Lifeline. Their number is 13 11 14. Or if you're listening from overseas, they have a chat feature on their website. It's lifeline.org.au. All right, on with the show. Up next is one of the awards we've all been waiting for. You're listening to Think Digital Futures, and this is the 2017 Esports Awards. The award... Streamer of the Year. If you're not familiar with the gaming world, streaming is kind of a big deal. And so is this prize. To present this award, please welcome to the stage a man who's not shy of a fan or two, YouTube superstar Elliot Crawford. So the winner is... Dr. Disrespect. Dr. Disrespect is one of the, if not the, there's some debate, most popular streamers on the platform Twitch. So it's not a huge surprise he won this award. He gets up on stage in character with a seedy fake moustache and shoulder-length black wig, permanent sunnies and headphones. He looks like an extra in a Euro House video from 2002. These larger-than-life characters are normal for Twitch. That's not why I'm playing you this. It's his speech that caught people off guard. He brought up an issue that's been a bit of a hot topic in the gaming world of late. Mental health. There's a lot of people that deal with suicide, you know, that they deal with hardships in their lives. I get a lot of messages, DMs, emails whispers, text messages, telling... uh, What he's saying is a lot of his fans weren't just tuning into his stream because they liked the game he was playing or because they admired his novelty aesthetic. There was something about the process of live streaming, about the communities forming around a particular streamer, around the anonymity of making friends online. It was something that was helping people get through dark times. One thing when I started my channel, I had no idea what I was getting into. It was just having a good time. Let's just do our thing. But a year and a half later, I realized a lot of things. I realized I've, I've provided an outlet for a lot of people that are dealing with a lot of hardships. It makes me proud. This is weird, right? Because all we seem to hear is how addictive video games are and how if you play them too much, it will ruin your life. But the reality is, in these live streaming communities, a different story is being told. One where video gaming isn't isolating, but actually deeply connected. This episode, I'll be taking a closer look at how ideas of friendship, emotional connection, and even identity play out in these digital communities. This isn't just about entertainment. It's about emotional well-being. Welcome to the world of live streaming.
Hi everyone. Hi you guys. Oh man, am I really loud or is it just me? Uh, welcome. Welcome. Happy Wednesday. This is Nancy, or this Nancy. She's a Twitch streamer from Sydney, and this is her live stream. Uh, how have you guys been? First of all, uh, holy crap, I haven't seen you guys since last week. Twitch is just one of many live streaming platforms, but it's the most popular for video games. And going onto it feels a bit like tumbling down the rabbit hole into a dubstep-fueled alternate universe. It's loud, it's colourful, and there's so much going on, it's hard to know where to look. I've logged on tonight to watch Nancy play a PC game called House Flipper. Literally a housing renovation computer game. But the game right now is sitting idle on the home screen, because Nancy is busy, greeting her regular viewers by their usernames. Nav was first. Valiant, welcome. Son of Diablo, yes, 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 yes. Okay, I should describe what I'm seeing. So Nancy's top half is superimposed in the bottom left-hand corner of the gameplay screen. Her viewers can see her and they can talk to her via a chat room that pops up as a sidebar. But she can't see or hear them. Blazed Blade, how you doing? How you doing? One by one, her viewers emerge in the chat room and say hi. And Nancy takes the time to personally greet every one of the roughly 40 or so people who have joined in, including... Shano, how you doing? Welcome. My goodness, guys, please... That's me, Shane. A warm welcome to Shano, who's just joined us in chat. This whole process takes a while. In fact, not much progress is made on the house at all. Most of the discussion is around the proper biological classification for Australian fauna. Uh, the correct Greek plural would be platypodes. Platypodes. <gasps> Why aren't scientists using platypodes? And this is the first indication that there's far more to live streaming than the act of watching someone digitally flip a house. It's a nice way to meet people and chat to people that you wouldn't necessarily have come to. This is Angarad Rad Yo. She's on TV. I'm a host on ABC Me's Good Game Spawn Point, which is a show all about video games aimed primarily at a core demographic of 8 to 12-year-olds. Rad is also a bit of a streamer herself, and a viewer, meaning she watches streams too. Most people do both. For Rad, the pull of gaming has always been the socialising. To start with, I would just play with my sisters, so that was definitely like social bonding for us. And I, I, I've always enjoyed it as a entertainment and a pastime and mostly a social thing. That doesn't seem too different to live streaming now. It's not in a lot of ways. It's quite similar. I mean, certainly that bond and that connection that exists in just watching your friend play a game and be like, oh, what's happening now? Oh, you know, and having conversations while you have that almost distraction kind of like watching a TV show or something together, it definitely carries over into, you know, online streaming and online communities. The idea of being able to live stream your gameplay first started with the 1993 smash hit Doom. It was one of the original first-person shooter games, meaning you see the game through the eyes of the character you're playing. In this case, you're Doom Guy, blasting your way through nine levels of a space station overrun by alien monsters. Uh, So this is one of the first instances of being able to kind of watch a replay of someone else's play. This is Rob Gallagher, a postdoctoral researcher into video games and identity. He's at King's College London. Essentially, you could download a log of all the key presses that someone else had made on their keyboards and then input that 
into the game and it would play back what they'd done. So gamers were finding ways to stream their gameplay even before the internet was around. Rob says Doom's developers knew this was happening and even encouraged it by letting people develop modifications of the game. And that's another massive part of online gamer communities, games that let you create new levels, new items, things like Minecraft. They've also driven streaming because they're so full of secrets and weird tricks and things that you can show off. These days, it's not just games that you can live stream. There's also heaps of popular IRL streams, meaning in real life, where you can watch people doing things like baking cookies or going to the shops for milk. But all these live streaming communities are proof of what most people who play video games already know. Gaming is and has always been a social activity. As in interactive, not just between the player and the hardware, but also other players, whether that's someone else sitting in the same room as you, whether that's kind of going off and discussing the games you're playing while you're not actually playing them. I think that social dimension of gameplay has always been there. And when we bring streaming into the picture, gaming can even become a spectacle. For example, on platforms like Twitch, viewing numbers can range anywhere from nobody to a couple hundred thousand. For the week I'm recording this in July, the record is 390,000 people watching one stream. And then you have live streams for events, things like E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Last year it was streamed in several languages across Twitch and YouTube, and it boasted a peak 1,103,000 views. But these kinds of live streams aren't as interactive. The chat rooms of these streams move so fast it's impossible to hold a conversation. Most people just spam. Rad says that larger streams are also more work for the streamers. It does turn into slightly more of a performative thing the more people are there because you can't make that one-on-one connection with that many people at once. It's just not possible. So a lot of people prefer smaller streams so you can make more connections. But when you're just a username and you're talking to other usernames, just what kind of connections are you making in a chat room? I asked Nancy, this Nancy, about what she gets out of her streams. Hi, my name's This Nancy. I'm an Australian partnered Twitch streamer working out of Sydney, Australia. I work full time and I stream as much as I can. What's as much as you can? Uh, I stream from 9pm to 1am, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. And I, where possible, have a weekend stream from Sunday midnight till Sunday 6am. Nancy started streaming in 2015 after seeing a friend of a friend stream and thinking... I could do this. There's, there's no reason I can't. And it looks fun as hell. On her streams, Nancy is laughing and talkative. Ooh, uh, what's the plural for octopus? Her bright pink and purple curly head dominate the screen. It's octopuses, but it should be octopodes. But she wasn't always like that. I don't consider myself extroverted at all. If I looked back, say, early 2015, even before I started streaming, a few months before I started streaming, I would never have thought that I would have the confidence to do that. I think in a lot of ways it gave me confidence. It's a very enriching thing to do to break that kind of a boundary of fear that you've got to talk to people or to put your face on a screen on the internet where anyone could be watching. That in itself is daunting. I mean, the whole friendship with people who can be just a username. People would say, you know, are you really friends if you don't hang out and get a beer or get coffee or go to the movies? I think it depends what you want to get. I mean, it sounds terrible, but 
What do you get out of your friends? You get the companionship, you get the conversation, you get the laughs, you get the understanding, you get, you know, how was your day? You get all of that on Twitch. People are spending their time with you. And I think that that's, that's an important friendship as, as much as any physical presence. Rad also thinks that people tend to devalue friendships made online. We think of them as less real. I have friends like that I hang out with in real life that I know through streaming and things like that, through the work that I do in that way. That's pretty special. Like It's a nice way to meet people and chat to people that you wouldn't necessarily have come to. Yeah, would you meet up in real life with someone you'd met only through Twitch? Yeah, absolutely. However, Rad is also a TV presenter, so she's more used to having a public presence. Nancy says that while she's met up in real life with people she's met online, it's only ever been in a group setting. But she still has strong feelings about her stream community. How how would you describe your community then? Um, Give me one word. Bleed purple. It's a Twitch word. (laughs) Um, My internet family. My internet family, my internet everything. I, I don't know. I can't find the words. I'll think of it on my way home. I'll think of it. It's not just the boundary between friend and stranger that's blurring in these chat rooms. These platforms throw up tons of questions about what's public and what's private, between what's friendship and what's performance, even between what's a hobby or a job. After the break, we're going to test some of these boundaries. We're going to see how the streaming ecosystem changes when these lines stop bending and start breaking. Welcome back to Think Digital Futures. We've been looking at the emotional intimacies and friendships formed in online streaming communities. Just a heads up, we are talking in this episode about issues relating to mental health and self-harm. It's not the main focus of this episode, but it is in there, so please be warned. Last year, gaming magazine Kotaku reported a story that has since become almost like folklore. It's about a user from the States who boasted around 400,000 followers, with whom he regularly shared personal details about his life with his daughter and his fiance. He came across as a pretty open and friendly kind of guy. During one of his streams late one night, he heard a strange sound outside his house. When he went to investigate, he found a teenager on his doorstep. This teenager greeted him by his username. It was a fan. After a conversation, the fan revealed he was a viewer from Singapore. He was going through some tough times at home and he was hoping that by figuring out where the streamer lived, scraping together all his money and flying halfway across the world, this streamer could help him sort out his problems. After the streamer told the fan that he couldn't stay at his house, He went back to his hotel. And the fan did eventually make it back to Singapore. Other followers actually raised money to buy him a ticket back home when they found out what had happened. But it's clear, in this example, a line had been crossed. 
You could almost see it as like the dark side of it all. That's rad again. Incidents like this have started happening more and more. I mean, not everyone is flying across the country, but people were using chat rooms to reach out to the streamer for help in a crisis. And like the story of the guy flying over from Singapore, these cases were ending up disappointing for both parties. Instead, what it was doing was highlighting the boundaries of the streamer-viewer relationship. There's definitely, you know, a subset of people that, like I said, don't understand that you're not close personal friends. Rad says this isn't something she's personally dealt with, but she hears about it happening a lot. I know of cases where, you know, people have acted very inappropriately because they don't understand and they can't separate out that that person doesn't know them. That's when it becomes a problem. You get all sorts of things. People will walk in and say, I've had a terrible day. From that degree to, I hate my life, I can't do this anymore. There's been threats of direct, imminent suicide in some, in some channels. It's not always so dark. There's reports of viewers falling in love with streamers or donating large amounts of money, like the kind of money you would donate expecting something in return. I need to stress here that it is absolutely okay to reach out for help with people you feel comfortable around. And streamers were wanting to help these people in a crisis. But at the same time, these moments of emotional intimacy were almost feeling like they were breaking the fourth wall. Rob says there is a lot about this relationship that is a performance. In some cases, this performance will be a performance of kind of supreme ability. But you also just have streamers who are very funny or very affable or very charismatic. And there's different genres of game, different types of play, um, different kinds of atmosphere and relationship with your audience. Rad also agrees. She says that in her streams, it's almost like she's playing a more casual version of herself. Yeah, it's letting people, like, see your bedroom um, and see... And I I stream very casually and I'll stream in my pyjamas with no makeup on and that kind of thing. Like, it's a much more personal look into my life. And that's part of what people love about it, but it's also something that you, as the streamer, have to be very aware of because there's been, like, streamers who have had people turn up at their house because that person feels so... Like, they know that, you know, the streamer personally. At the same time, though, Twitch feels like it's intentionally designed to give you that impression. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. But that's okay as long as people still walk away from it and recognize, I got that feeling, I got that human connection, it was great, and I really enjoyed it, and now I'm going to go keep living my life. It's personal, but it's not private personal. Can it be, can it be an emotional burden, being a, being a performer? Absolutely, absolutely. There's, there's different ways it can be. Nancy says there is a huge amount of pressure on streamers to maintain a certain atmosphere. Not only do you have to watch how you react, you have to watch the words you're saying, and you have to respond appropriately. Most of us aren't psychiatrists, as last time I checked. So you've got to be delicate enough to send them to, to someone that can help them, depending on how severe or or dire their situation is. If it's just they've had a bad day, then you just, you know, you try and lighten the mood rather than anything else. Maybe this constructed air of positivity in a stream is what draws people having issues to them in the first place. Kind of like the bartender effect. You have a friendly ear, but at the same time, there's that boundary in place. 
Part of Rob's research is looking into the ways people use media as a form of self-medication. And you've probably noticed some of this media yourself. If not in gaming, you might be familiar with a recent rise in media where nothing really happens for long amounts of time. Like slow TV. So these uh, eight-hour videos of uh, cross-continental train journeys or of people knitting. Another one is... uh, Long-haul truckers, isn't it? Broadcasting on Periscope was was a big thing for a while, I think. A second-hand highway hypnosis becomes quite an interesting way to chill out um, and of kind of being a kind of relaxing, meditative thing. This highway hypnosis gives us a sense of co-presence, a feeling that we're present in the media. So with something like a 10-hour train journey, it might be a feeling you get of drifting along watching the scenery pass you by. And perhaps this is so appealing because, for most of us, it's the opposite feeling we get from our daily lives. Things aren't routine. Um, Things could be a lot more routine for a lot of people. They might not know where their next rent check is coming from. So I I think just uh, it's been read, I think, quite plausibly as as a kind of uh, finding relief for lives that are themselves quite often quite unpredictable and quite unmoored in a kind of zero-hours gig economy way. And this plays into streaming in other ways too. Our lives are highly individualised. We're often told we're each responsible for our own realities, which means when it goes wrong, we're also told we're the ones to blame. Our culture in general, uh, neoliberal culture, uh, is very ready, uh, too ready to to make things the kind of responsibility of individuals who have to kind of uh, manage their own bodies and their own moods. So we see uh, gaming addiction in terms of certain pathologized individuals who have to kind of transcend this and acquire new habits. And we think about people who uh, can't sleep as having a responsibility to themselves and to society to to find ways of dealing with that, whether that's chemicals or exercise or uh, watching trains, whatever that might be. So I think it's a very kind of individualised, medicalised way of thinking about our relationship with our bodies and with media. You walk into, or you digitally walk into a Twitch channel and you just see the dialogue that goes back and forth and you can already tell what kind of channel it is. I think that Twitch is a comfortable place on the internet to go to that you can safely assume is filled with mainly nice people. You've been listening to Think Digital Futures. This show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SCR and broadcast right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Thank you to Nancy for letting me lurk on her stream and to Rad and Rob Gallagher for all their help with this episode. As always, if you want more information, head to our website, that is 2SCR.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. We are an independent community radio station, which means our listeners are everything to us. So if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and share us with your friends to help us keep making the show that we love. This show is recorded at 2SCR, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with some brand new episodes. In the meantime, I did mention in the show that there are IRL streams, meaning in real life. And this is Rad talking about hers. Yeah, I actually myself prefer doing like IRL streams rather than 
gaming streams because I find I get too distracted. Interesting. What's some of the IRL stuff that you've got into? I literally just sit at the computer and often play with my dog and talk to people because I have the most beautiful dog in the world. What breed? Uh, He's a Border Collie and his name is Boatmeal and he's such a good boy. He's just, I love him so much. I'm obsessed with him. So you live stream your dog? Yeah. I live stream my dog and I get him to do tricks sometimes and stuff. And But like it, it literally is just sometimes sitting on the floor with the dog and the screen in front of me and just chatting to people. 